But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. I just want to add my uh, welcome to Libby's. Um, if I've not met you yet, my name's Paul. Uh, I'm one of the clergy leaders here, and it's great uh, to be here this evening and to share with you. If you've been here over the past few weeks, you'll have noticed that um, we've been looking at our uh, strategies as a church. We've been using this phrase, aru, to mean uh, meaning shift, change, and transform. Our vision as a church is stayed the same, and the vision is this, that we want to be whole life disciples, um, sharing the whole of the gospel with the whole of society through churches of grace. And we've been talking about these three strands uh, to our strategy. The first is changing lives. Second is transforming society. And the third is deepening influence. And we've spoke on these subjects, and if you've missed them over the past few weeks, I'd really encourage you to jump on the podcast and listen to them talks and bring yourself up to speed to where we are, what we've been saying, so that you can be on the same page uh, as everybody else as we look at all this together. Today, I'm going to be looking at deepening influence. And I was thinking about this, I was thinking, actually, we are all influenced by something, aren't we? We're all influenced all the time. Whether it's media, music, whether it's the thing that's trending at the moment, whether it's a thing that's gone viral, whether it's our friends, whether it's our school, whether it's our university, whether it's our workplace, whether it's our family, whether it's our spouse, whether it's our partner, whatever it is, we are all influenced all the time. We can't help but be influenced for good or for bad. At the same time, we also influence those around us. The place where you've been placed at work, at school, at university, in your home. You influence the circle of people around you for good or for bad. And in the verse that we've been just looking at, the verses, Paul has been influenced by Jesus in a big way. Like it's made a massive impact on his life. It shook him to the core. Jesus has influenced him so much that we'll get to see a little later as we look at this. But also, he's wanting to influence the church that he's writing to. He cares about the church. 
He's writing this letter to a church in Philippi, and he's wanting to deeply impact them. He's wanting to influence them for Jesus. He wants to bring their attention to Jesus and influence them in such a way that they live their life in a different way. And he starts by actually comparing. The, the verse starts with him comparing different ways of living. He's comparing the traditional way of living following the Jewish law and customs, as a way of being righteous. So Paul is looking at it the way he used to live his life, and he's now comparing it to what is found in Jesus. His life and what it looks like now that he's following Jesus. Not these rules trying to work his way up to beloved by God, but actually realizing that Jesus has come down and he's met with Jesus. He's found by Jesus. We see that Paul wasn't actually always called Paul. We know this, don't we? We know that, that he was actually called Saul. And he was known as being somebody who was really zealous, somebody who was religious, had a, a great background, but somebody who didn't like people following Jesus and claiming that Jesus has risen from the dead. We can actually read that Paul, who was called Saul at the time, was actually going round and he was breathing murderous threats to those that were following Jesus, to the disciples. He was knocking on doors and dragging people out of their homes and punishing them, persecuting them for believing in Jesus. Then he meets Jesus, the risen Jesus, and his life's completely changed. His life is completely transformed, turned around, and he's turned where he is, and his mission is about telling people about the Jesus. He's telling people now to follow Jesus where he was at once persecuting them for doing so. We'll see as well in, in Paul's letter that he's passionate, he's very passionate, and he's very vocal about following Jesus, about what it's like to follow him and how he can influence their lives. I've been thinking about me uh, being influenced uh, and how I've been shaped, how I've been molded, how I've been impacted in my life. I was thinking about comparisons in my life where I was maybe living one way then living another way and what that might look like and what repercussions that might have and I remember as a, as a kid being influenced by some older lads so I didn't have any brother I've got an older sister but I didn't have any brothers and I had a few friends that were my age but I somehow found myself in this circle of guys that were probably 10 years older than me and they didn't influence me for good it wasn't a good influence on my life so you've got to understand that I was brought up in a Christian home. I became a Christian at the age of five. I experienced the Holy Spirit powerfully at the age of eight. I was miraculously healed at the age of nine. And not so long after that, I was baptized. And yet, I didn't have anything to compare my Christian life to. That's all I knew. And as I hit my teenage years, I was like, well, what else is there? What else is out there other than the Christian faith? That's all I knew. Surely there's something else. What am I missing out on? Am I missing out on anything? And as I began to hang out with these older boys, I begin to see that there's actually a different way of living. Not everybody goes to church. Not everybody sings in tongues. Not everybody ministers in different ways and sees God in different ways. And not everybody actually goes to a church youth group. Actually, there's other stuff. And I was, I was interested. I was intrigued. I was very vulnerable and very naive as well. And I remember these boys as I, I begin to watch them and watch their lives. 
and I begin to be influenced by them. These boys were influencing me. They were often under the influence, but they were influencing me. And these guys that I hung out with, you know, they, they were just in desperate pursuit of happiness. They were trying everything and anything they could possibly get their hands on to try and find happiness, to get the ultimate high. What else is there? Explore everything. Turn every stone over. Let's just try everything. Desperately seeking to find the meaning of life. And I watched as their lives just begin to erode. We all know or we can imagine the sort of drug scene. You know, the cannabis that gets handed around, the joints that gets passed around, the five pound notes that get rolled up as the cocaine gets snorted, the concoctions and the spirits and the drinks that people try and just to make up, desperately trying to find something and find meaning, happiness and the ultimate high in life. But it was miserable. It was absolutely miserable. Desperately seeking something only to come up empty and alone. Some of them guys, when I think about it now, and I'm still loosely in touch with some of them, some of them guys are now in jail. Some of them guys are not interested in the lifestyle that they have. Thank God, thank the Lord, and I mean that. Some of them are actually dead because of their lifestyle. And the truth is, when I think about their lives and I think about how I was kind of watching them and looking at them, I was thinking that when I was a teenager, in the life that I had, I watched people's lives being destroyed. Now in the life that I have, I get to see people's lives being restored. It's a massive difference. It's incredible. Why do I tell you all that stuff? Well, I tell you all that stuff because there's nothing that compares to Jesus. There really isn't. There's nothing outside of Jesus. Like the creator of all things who knows us, understands us, made us. He has the instruction book for our lives. He knows how we work, how we function. He wants the best for us. He's provided the best for us. And there's nothing really outside of him. Nothing. Nothing really satisfies the way that Jesus does. I watched these people's lives as they explore hedonism and all things fun only to come up empty, as so many people do. People like Alex James. So Alex James, for those of you who don't know him, he's a journalist. He owns his own cheese farm. He's probably a multi-millionaire, but he made his money through um, a 90s pop band called Blur. The lead singer from Blur, Damon Albarn, went on to then form the band Gorillaz. He made a lot of money in the band Blur. And he writes in his book, a bit of a blur, and I think it was a bit of a blur then, then years that he was in the band. He'd just been to the most expensive hotel in the world in Cannes. And he writes this in his book. Alex James says this. We left in the morning to find the famous artist Damien Hirst in Provence. He was playing volleyball. His host was slaughtering a lamb for us to eat. We went for dinner at the world's most expensive restaurant. From the moment the junior waiter unfolded your napkin for you until the nice lady lit your cigar, things couldn't have been more tippity-top. We left the best hotel, only to arrive at the most expensive restaurant in my own aeroplane to meet the world's most richest living artist. The next day, we flew to Mick Jagger's chateau in France. It was going to have to go downhill from here, surely. It was the top of the hill. What else could life hold beyond this? It's funny though, but when I look back and think about my period of life then, it was the bottom of the pit rather than the summit of Mount Fantastico. 
I was a morally bankrupt, drunken fatso with a stupid grin and a girlfriend with a murdered heart. Ouch. The Apostle Paul, in, in his writings, he's not talking about a reckless lifestyle. He's not comparing the, the relationship of Jesus that he's with now to a reckless way of living. He's comparing it to a religious way of living. He's saying, look, I tried everything. I followed all the rules. I did all the right things. I was from a good background. I followed all the laws, but it wasn't enough. I still fall short of the glory of God. It's not enough. And then I found Jesus, and then suddenly it made sense. Suddenly I know why I was alive. I know what I'm living for. And comparing my lifestyle, my religious lifestyle, that just made me come up empty, compared to this, that's rubbish. That just didn't do anything at all. So we see that Paul in verse 7 says this. Whatever were gains to me. What were Paul's gains? Like in his old way of living, what were his gains? Well, his credentials are a little bit like this. He had a rich religious heritage. He had great ancestors. You know, scholars believe that his ancestors could be traced back to Jacob, the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. He had a rich, rich heritage and ancestors. His religious position was admired. He was devoted. His zeal, his passion. Before he was known as Paul, he was obviously known as Saul, and people knew him as somebody who was passionate and zealous for the Lord's church. His purity of keeping the laws of Moses, all these things, these credentials, he's now saying, actually, they mean nothing. He's saying, I consider these loss for the sake of Christ. And in verse 8, he's getting a bit passionate, he's getting a bit vocal, and he says, I consider everything a loss. All his religious credentials, all the things that he counted on to think were great, just pointless. I count them as rubbish when I compare them to Jesus, knowing Jesus. I consider them garbage. This word uh, that Christine read out in this text, the word garbage, Paul's saying, I consider all that stuff garbage. It's caused a lot of controversy over the, ta- over the years. There's a lot of debate going around about what word did actually Paul use? This word garbage, like what, what does it mean? The Greek word that Paul used here is skadula. And it's a really interesting word because different people translate it in different ways. Let me give you two main ways, though, that it kind of boils down to. The first is rubbish. So Paul's saying, the religious way of living, trying to work your way up to God, it's rubbish. It doesn't, doesn't lead anywhere. It doesn't actually produce anything. It's rubbish. Or, if you like, it's like table scraps. It's like table scraps that you've just finished your meal and you just sweep off the table and the food that's only good enough for dogs. So the first meaning is actually table scraps, dogs. It's it's food that's only fit for dogs. Now, don't get me wrong. In 2019, we love dogs, don't we? We absolutely love them. Like, we have dog shows. We have dog places where you can go. Yesterday, I saw the first, Edinburgh's first, uh, do-it-yourself dog washing station. So I think you bring your dog along, and you can get everything out. You can hose your dog down and take your dog through a car wash, but it's a dog wash. And we are we're just obsessed with dogs. We love dogs. We are a dog people. We've got, like, the best food that we can have for the dogs. And dogs have a, a basket and everything else. But in them days, in that culture, dogs were just the lowest of low animals. Like, they just didn't like dogs. Dogs were seen and viewed as being unclean 
dirty animals. Often dogs would be stray and they would wander the streets and they would eat rubbish and they'd eat garbage. And Jewish people actually didn't like dogs. They didn't hold them high as we do these days. And this saying, the life that I led, all the stuff that I thought was good, trying to be good and do the right things, like it's just pointless. The life like that, it's like the the scraps that you'd sweep off the table only fit for dogs. That's the kind of life it is. The second thing that it could be, um, people talk about this word, because doula is actually um, something a bit more offensive. It's something that um, comes from a human that you kind of flush down the toilet. And Paul's saying, as far as I'm concerned, all the things that I once prided myself on, I now consider it to be absolute waste. I consider it to be rubbish. And I think the T-shirt says it all, if you kind of get the picture of what it's saying. This is what he's saying. It's like, it's that bad. And, you know, people debate, what is Paul saying? Some scholars, some commentaries say, that word is the closest word to a swear word that you will find in the New Testament. And they're saying he's trying to shock his audience by slipping in a swear word. But what I think is actually he's not trying to do that. That word in that culture wasn't actually a swear word. I believe, actually, he's given an image of something that's shocking. It's the image, not the word that's shocking. He's saying, guys, like, don't put your value in that way of living because it's absolute rubbish. It's garbage. Another translation calls it dung. It's just dung. And dung isn't great, is it? So the things that we can sometimes think are great can just be rubbish. It's just not worth anything. It's not valuable even when we compare it to knowing Jesus. Paul is saying that my reputation, my religious acts, none of that's good enough. I still fall short. It's only through Jesus that I'm made right. It's his righteousness. It's not my doings. It's not me trying to be loved by Jesus. It's Jesus loving me. I can't earn his love. But let's be honest, as people, we can put too much value in the wrong thing, can't we? We can think by going to this and doing that, or by staying late, or by whatever it is, we kind of earn people's love and so on, or we just somehow get in the good books with God, or we can work our way up and God will love us a little bit more. We can put our value in the wrong things. I remember when Katie and I, we'd been asked to go to India, and we were going to go and visit some of the slums in India. One of the the slums that we went to to visit was called Pipe Village, where the whole village lived in pipes. They lived in these concrete pipes. And we were kind of visiting these slums, and we were recording a children's album and and trying to re-educate the community that God loves them, that they've got value, that they're loved, that they're cherished, that they should look after their land. But we had to get to India, and we had to raise money for the project and so on. So we did this auction. Remember, in a church in London, we had a curry night, uh, Indian music. Um, It was just an amazing uh, night, but we had an auction in the night. And we got a few things donated from the community, and there was an auction. People could bid for stuff. And and if they thought it was valuable, they'd kind of increase their bid. And I remember um, one of the prizes uh, was a meal for two uh, at this place. And our friends started bidding. 
And they started getting quite excited about it. And, and kind of the hand got up, yeah, £10, £20, £30, £40. And our friends that were bidding for this, they were kind of like leaders and people kind of were looking at them and thinking, well, do they know something that we don't? And if they're bidding on this, maybe we should cough up and bid as well. So they started to bid and there was a bit of competition going on and it was just rocketing. The price was going through the roof. And Kate and I are thinking, well, this is amazing. This is great. Now, let's just step back and allow this to kind of happen. This is going to pay for everything. This is going to be great. The bids kept going higher and higher. And my friend was looking at his wife thinking, wow, you, you really want this, don't you? Like, you really want this? Like, can we afford this? Are you sure? So he was kind of behind us saying, okay, more, more, more. And the price just went up and up and up for this meal for two. And it was incredible. Katie and I were so pleased. And we were amazing. Like, thank you guys. That's so generous. Anyway, at the end, it turns out that the couple, our friends that were bidding, our friend, she'd, she'd read, she's dyslexic, she'd read the item wrong. And she'd read the, the place where they were going for a meal wrong. And in her head, she thought she was bidding for the Landmark Hotel. Now, the Landmark Hotel is a five-star luxury hotel that Manchester United stay in when they come to play their away games in London. What they were actually bidding for was the Larrick Pub. The Larrick Pub is a corner pub. It's dirty, it's sticky carpets, but they gave us a, a free meal for two, maybe even threw in a glass of wine, I don't know. But this is the pits. Like, this is the pits. Like, the price that they paid for a meal for two there was just not worth it, I'm going to be honest. And in life, you know, we, we can put our value in the wrong thing. Like, whether it's through social media or whatever it is, when things gather a bit of traction, when things gather a bit of interest, when things go viral, when our friends get involved in things, when our work colleagues put a price on something, we can too get on board with that and put value in the wrong thing. Paul's saying don't put value in the wrong thing. There's no value in trying to live a life that's religious, that's working your way up to God. God already loves you. He's made his way down. He loves you. You find your worth. You find what, who you are and what you're living for in Jesus. It's Jesus that makes all the difference. It reminded me uh, that Paul later on, he says this, he, he talks about the people uh, of God and, and we sometimes trade um, things uh, for God. We trade um, the, the things by our worshiping the created rather than the creator. And sometimes we can be guilty of, of seeking money rather than the one who provides the money. We can seek and pursue love rather than the one who is the God of love. We can pursue and seek the wrong things. Romans 1 verse 25 says this, They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. You know, whatever it is that sometimes we, we worship as an idol, whether it's money, whether it's success, whether it's fame, whatever we worship as idols, idols always break the heart of the worshiper. Idols always break the heart of the worshiper. But if we put our trust and our faith in Jesus and in God, he satisfies us. We get it. Life makes sense who we are. In Matthew 13, uh, Jesus um, talking about um, uh, the kingdom of heaven. There's this amazing image that says, 
um, I, <clears throat> that we, the kingdom of God is like uh, a man who uh, seeks godly pearls. Now, today, pearls aren't that expensive. Like in them days, they were quite rare. And, and a pearl was really precious. And there's this image in, uh, in Matthew's gospel that talks about a man who's seeking after these pearls. And it says this, when he had found one pearl of great price, he went out and he sold all that he had and he bought the precious pearl. In Christ, Paul has found the pearl of great price. Like Paul's found it. He's like, I literally get rid of all of that for the sake of knowing Jesus. Like all of that I count as rubbish, dung, skedula compared to finding Jesus and being found in him. Paul's been greatly influenced by Jesus. He's more than willing to give everything up for him. To gain Christ, to gain the knowledge of Christ, to gain the righteousness of God that comes through faith in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. He knows the value of him. And Paul is obsessed with him. He's like, he can't shut up about Jesus. Paul is all over it. He's talking about Jesus. He's preaching to his friends and to his enemies about Jesus. If Jesus had an Instagram account, Paul would be like, 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 every picture. It'd be all over it. Jesus' account would be blowing up because Paul is passionate about Jesus. The pearl that he's found is like, I can't believe this. I can't believe it. All hail King Jesus. He's the one who makes all the difference. Nothing compares to this. Paul has been influenced Jesus in, by Jesus in such a way that he preaches in public places and prisons. He's planted churches and pastored churches. He's wrote the majority of the New Testament, whether he knew it or not at the time. Cathedrals have been named after him. Churches have been named after him. People have been named after him. Millions of books have been written about him. Scholars continue to write and tailor courses on his teaching. Churches like ours look at his teaching and his letters and take some of the model and principles from his letters. Question is, how will you influence the world? How will you influence the people around you? What will your influence be? How will your relationship with Jesus impact your work colleague? How will it shape them? How will it shape how you live? It completely turned Paul's life around. Will we allow God to do the same for us? All of the stuff that Paul writes about and does, it's all because of Jesus. He's been impacted by Jesus, who is, let's be honest, the greatest influencer of all time. Jesus. Nobody's influenced the world like Jesus. You know, Time magazine describes Jesus as the most persistent symbol of purity, selflessness, and love in the history of Western humanity. Time magazine. A clip from the poem, One Solitary Life. Centuries have come and gone since Jesus' death and resurrection, and today he is the central figure of the human race. I am well within the mark when I say that all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, and all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on earth as much as this one solitary life, Jesus. Albert Einstein said of Jesus, I'm enthralled by the luminous figure of Jesus. No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. 
His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. The impact of Jesus goes on and on and on and on. Whenever you see the words world vision, YMCA, Samaritan's Purse, Compassion International, you're speaking, whether you know it or not, of Jesus, of the movement of Jesus. Without Christ and the people who have their faith in them, we would have no hospitals, no abolishment of slavery, no orphanages, no Samaritans. Like the Apostle Paul, Christians over time have done amazing things because of Jesus. They've been influenced and impacted by Jesus. They've done incredible things through time. What will history say of us? What will history say of us in our time? In the 2.2 billion people that follow Jesus today, what will history remember us for in following him? You know, if you want to have a deep and lasting influence in your schools, in your universities, in your workplaces, in your homes, in your world around us, take inspiration from Paul and realize the precious pearl that you have. Realize the precious pearl that we hold. Realize the precious pearl that is Jesus. Through knowing Jesus and making him known, those around us we can make a massive influence and impact on in our own authentic, non-freaky, non-religious way, but communicating the gospel how Jesus has made you to be, we can have a deep impact and influence on the world around us. We can make a massive dent for good on the world if we allow ourselves to be shaped, inspired, and influenced by Jesus. Like the Apostle Paul, who saw Jesus and the value of Jesus for who he is, we can see amazing things. If you don't know Jesus and you're like, what on earth is that guy on about? Like, I'd encourage you at the end, come and find someone or someone that you came to say, you've got to tell me about that Jesus. Like, if he is who that guy's saying he is, I think I need to know him. That could be, and that will be, the best decision and most important decision you'll ever make in your life. It'll be a game changer. It'll be a line in the sand. If you don't know Jesus in a way that you're passionate about him, if you've forgotten how precious that pearl is, can I encourage you, get prayer. Allow God to open your eyes to the reality of Jesus again. There's nothing more worse than boring Christians who just don't really believe what they believe, that were kind of lukewarm. Let's get a fresh revelation of Jesus, who he is. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to fan the flame of our love for Jesus inside us. And then you'll influence the world. Then you'll impact the world. As we demonstrate and we display Jesus to people around us, you'll see lives changed for good. You'll see lives transformed. Somebody once said, the Jesus that you see will be the Jesus that you'll be. How you understand Jesus is how you will communicate Jesus. How you see Jesus will be how you communicate him. In a moment, um, we're going to finish by watching a little clip. It's four minutes long. We've probably all seen it. But if you haven't, um, it's a great thing. And it's actually a really good reminder of who Jesus is. It's called That's My King. And just to give you the context of this, this is influenced by Jesus, and I'm sure by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, this old guy, this elderly man, he's in his 80s in the USA, I think in Detroit. And it's not rehearsed, it's not written down, but this man begins to reel off 
all that he knows to be true of Jesus. He's basically describing what he knows to be true of Jesus. The audio is quite old, so bear with it. And somebody's put music to it. Follow the words on the screen. But I'm just going to pray before we watch it. Let's just pray. Holy Spirit, come. Reveal Jesus to us. Allow Jesus to impact and influence our heart in such a way that, Father, you are screaming out to those around us, that we can influence the world around us by the Jesus and because of the Jesus that we see now. So bless our eyes to see you, Lord, that we would see you afresh. Holy Spirit, come as we look at you, King Jesus. Amen. We'll roll the video and then Libby will jump up. The Bible says, my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of and the pride. He sympathizes and he saves. 